0: But what I'm most concerned about the issue is from environmental toxins. You know, I'm I'm the guy that's like the environmental medicine focused doctor. And uh, we definitely know that plastics, pesticides, preservatives, and other volatile organic compounds like cleaning agents and petroleum products, they directly are toxic to the, the thyroid.
2: And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Hey guys, hope everybody's having a great summer. We are here today to talk about your thyroid. Super sexy topic. We are kind of at an age where uh, lots of people are having conversations about stuff that's changing stuff that doesn't maybe feel quite right. And oftentimes it actually has to do with your thyroid, which unfortunately, again, is something that is not super widely discussed. So we tapped one of our favorite functional medicine doctors, Dr. Jeffrey Morrison, to give us a little primer, thyroid 101 type stuff. And uh, we hope you learned something. Have a listen and thanks. So what if I told you your morning coffee could make you smarter? or that your afternoon dark chocolate habit could also provide the most powerful immune support available in nature. You'd probably say I was full of shiitake. That's a mushroom joke, because we're a mushroom company, Earth and Star, bringing you the amazing benefits of functional mushrooms in your favorite everyday products. We make coffee, tea, snacks, and more, all with a whopping 2,000 milligrams of adaptogen extracts like lion's mane for brain power, chaga for immune support, and cordyceps for physical stamina. Crack open a can of our certified organic plant-based lattes and cold brew, or choose our ground coffee to brew at home just the way you like it. Sweet Tooth? Try our four flavors of delicious dark chocolate bars or our cute little drops to put in your favorite beverage. Every Earth and Star product is 100% organic, gluten and dairy free with zero refined sugars, fillers or gums. Cause gross. But do they taste like mushrooms? No, they taste like coffee matcha, chocolate bars and everything else you already consume, they just come with extra superpowers. Visit earthandstar.com and use the code podcast to get 15% off your first order. Earth and Star, your daily routine elevated. So we wanted to talk about thyroid health because I feel like it's kind of one of those things that until it actually becomes you know an issue You don't really think about it. And like I know nothing about it whatsoever, except for the handful of friends I have who have had a thyroid issue here and there, ranging from like, oh, I have to take a medication to actually two girlfriends of mine that have had thyroid cancer and now no issues whatsoever. But I feel like it's kind of one of those things that, like, especially women, we should all be talking about it a little bit more and understand kind of the basics. And I definitely feel like I have no information. I think Zoe probably has a bit more than I do, but
1: Oh, yes. I've had my brush with thyroid issues too. Um, but yeah, so let's start at the very beginning. What are those issues? What do we need to know first and foremost about thyroiditis?
2: Right. What does it do and what is it supposed to do and what? how do you know when it's not doing what it's supposed to do?
0: Well, the yeah, the thyroid is one of the organs in the body that's responsible for producing hormones. And specifically, it's producing thyroid hormone. And uh, thyroid hormone is kind of like one of my hormones on my, th- my hormone map that I'm always wanting to make sure is in balance. So we've got thyroid hormone, adrenal, insulin, sex hormones. But the, the really big importance about the thyroid hormone is that it regulates metabolism. Uh, literally, it regulates how cells make energy. So as you can imagine, if thyroid is off, this is really important because if, a, if the thyroid is not telling the cells to burn calories for energy, you don't make energy properly, which is basically ATP. And then without ATP, you're not all of your body systems are just not working. So, so then people can have like slower mental processing, fatigue, uh, cold body temperature, uh, gaining weight, uh, cold, as I said, cold hands and cold feet, slower digestion, like constipation.
2: So it's not, so it's interesting because I feel like even when you just say metabolism, I feel like most people, the common connection there is that just has to do with weight management, right? And that you don't really necessarily think about those other factors that you're describing brain fog, digestion, all of that. So metabolism really does impact not just whether you're gaining or losing weight.
0: Oh, it is, it is so necessary for the, very most important thing that our cells need to do, which is make energy properly, and then in each organ of the body, those cells drive metabolic processes, so like the liver cells are not working as well as they should. the heart cells are not working as well as they should, so people can get heart issues uh, and that's one of the one of the worst things that can happen for a person that has slow thyroid cardiomyopathy the adrenal glands get more stress because uh, if the thyroid's not working for metabolism, then people start making adrenaline. So at the early stages of a thyroid issue, people can actually be running on adrenaline and they can feel wired, uh, wired and tired. Like <laughs> that is that's interesting. Yeah. so you're, many. I'm,
1: yeah. You're describing me in a lot of different ways, <laughs> but I, so yeah, I mean, it's It's, I, obviously, hugely important. But what? So I always have cold hands, cold feet. I always thought that was just circulation. Not true.
0: Well, it it certainly could be. I mean, I I won't uh, deny that there are certain reasons why people can have cold hands and cold feet. But but at when it, at the end of the day, if it's not an autoimmune issue like Raynaud's, then it probably has something to do with metabolism, which means the cells are not making energy so well.
1: Right. So and can you, yeah. yeah.
0: Remember, one of the byproducts of energy metabolism is heat. So as you, as we make energy and as we make ATP, we also are producing, you know, we're burning oxygen to make ATP, and then the byproduct is carbon dioxide, which we breathe out off and then heat. So if we are not at our normal body temperature, 98.6, and I'm sure that you've all heard like a year or two ago. Uh, there was like a consensus that our average body temperature in the United States has actually decreased. <laughs> it's no longer 98.6. And we'll get into why that might be shortly. But if, if our body temperature is not 98.6, that means we're not producing heat. And so cold hands, cold feet.
2: My temperature has not been 98.6. And now in this COVID era, you know they take it all the time. It is definitely
0: always in the 97s. Is that... Not okay. It's honestly, it's not. And it, so, what does it mean? <laughs> but most on. Americans are in the same boat. So this is. So why do people get thyroid issues? Okay. In fact, you know, like some people would say that fifteen or twenty percent of the United States population has thyroid issues. So, you know, sometimes it's because of, you know, an autoimmune condition. People have heard of Hashimoto's and uh, Hashimoto's is often associated with like food sensitivities to like dairy or gluten.
2: Yeah, I want to go I want to get into that, but do your quick list first.
0: But it can also be because of stress and it can also be because of prescription medications. But what I'm most concerned about the issue is from environmental toxins. You know, I'm I'm the guy that's like the environmental medicine focused doctor. And uh, we definitely know that plastics, pesticides, preservatives, and other volatile organic compounds like cleaning agents and petroleum products, they directly are toxic to the the thyroid. And they all, like bromine, which is basically used in swimming pools, which everybody's aware of over the summer, it's like chlorine or bromine as a water purifier. Bromine, and bromine is added into white bread, brominated white bread. They, that displaces iodine in the thyroid and then causes the thyroid not to be able to make thyroid hormone properly, which requires iodine as part of that process. So nutri- nutritional deficiencies can cause low thyroid, low so iodine.
2: thyroid health or challenges is definitely not... I mean, what is the breakdown of men to women as far as... as because I feel like you always hear about it with women and very rarely with, with men, but is that, that sounds like it's not the case at all.
0: It's absolutely, the the Hashimoto's definitely is more likely in women, but probably uh, men and women are both as likely to get some thyroid issues. As far as the Hashimoto's, it's more like uh, three quarters or at least two thirds are women compared to men.
1: So can you talk about how, So, we'll go back to the differences of the thyroid, I mean, hypo and hyper, but could you talk a little bit about, I mean... How does it present differently in men? I'm curious. So if women, I mean, have their is, are they the same symptoms?
0: Could be. The main differentiator is that guys make more testosterone and t- testosterone can actually help make up for some of the deficiencies of, of thyroid for a period of time. And also it's thought that the uh, higher levels of testosterone can help to regulate immune system function. In men, and that's why that's one of the reasons why it's thought that men may be less likely to develop Hashimoto's or autoimmune compared to women. Uh, Frankly, I think it's the opposite because women are more susceptible to estrogen-related toxins in the environment, and then that's why they're more likely to get hormone, you know, autoimmune conditions. So, but nonetheless, men will still get like fatigue, poor mental processing, maybe not as much cold hands, cold feet, but gain weight for sure, low mood, low depression is very often related to low thyroid.
1: Really? Not just languishing? (laughs) That's a new term. Um, (laughs) We're no longer depressed. We're all just languishing Um, post-COVID. So this is obviously why thyroid, I would assume, is so often overlooked is because all of these symptoms could be attributed to like Literally anything, right? And they're, they kind of they touch so many different areas for so many other potential causes.
0: And also, when patients go into the get blood tests for thyroid, the the reference ranges for thyroid, you know, the TSH thyroid stimulating hormone, and even the T three and T four active thyroid hormone levels, they can be normal, and a person can still be hypothyroid. Okay. So
2: how do you... Because I literally just went and had my TSH and T4 tested yesterday because I'm now in this conversation with doctors where I'm like, okay, I feel like I tweaked this thing and this thing, but you know, some of the panels are still not showing up the way that they want them. And so there are some hypotheses. Have you ever had your thyroid checked? I said no, because in general, I don't feel like I present with... Any or at least many of the symptoms. So what happens in that case where those levels still like they they test normally, but then you still have a thyroid issue? Like what what are you missing in that in that situation?
0: So when we're doing thyroid blood tests, of course you want to check the TSH. And the reference range can go up to 4.5 4.5 on TSH. You know, these numbers are going to sound like they don't make sense unless you're actually looking at thyroid hormone numbers all day long. But, but the old reference ranges and probably the more accurate level for TSH should be under 2.2. And some people are even saying that the TSH could be at the very lowest level, like around 0. 0.5 in order for it to be optimal for the person. The, the, the issue is, is that some people need more thyroid hormones, so we don't know what their levels were when they were in their 20s or teens, and then they de- deplete as we get older, and we're not sure what they should be, what's their optimal level for them. So the levels can slide, and a person can be hypothyroid for them. And that's where why part of the decision is looking at the TSH, the free t tea- three and the free T4, the, the free T4 is kind of like the precursor thyroid. It's made in the thyroid gland. It requires iodine to be made properly. And so that's why we also are checking iodine levels as and, and iron levels too. Iron and iodine are really important for making T4. And then T4 has to turn into T3, which is the active thyroid hormone. And so we also are checking uh, selenium levels to make, because that's, Part of the nutrients that are necessary for converting T4 to T3, and and the, if the T4 is normal and the TSH is normal, but the T3 is low, a person can have all the symptoms of hypothyroid because they're not making active thyroid hormone. And that then we have to figure out why that is, and it's often related to some kind of stress, and it could be. Uh, Uh, just stress from life, but it can also be like a viral infection or like a chronic illness. And then a person can be hypothyroid, uh, in fact, and requires some additional support, hopefully naturally, but sometimes even with T3. And and that's where the reverse T3 is also important for checking because it's like a blocking thyroid hormone. Yeah, that's... uh,
1: I I had a um I had a thyroid issue. I don't even know if I would call it an issue because I went to a high risk OB for my first pregnancy. Um but you know never never had checked never had a baseline, never checked any kind of like thyroid in my entire life as far as I knew. Um but then if you are pregnant, you're you check for that. If you are you know, so it was this constant checking and monitoring my my thyroid level. And they determined that it was, um, you know, high, slightly hypo. And so they put me on Synthroid while I was pregnant, which was such a, such a bummer. I was like, oh shit. And it was so, I think it was like overly cautious perhaps, which I won't, I'm not complaining about, but I, I just... I don't know. I always look back at that and I'm like, "Hmm, how did that affect my pregnancy? Like, was that really necessary? Was there maybe a different way to go about, you know, monitoring that or bringing it to normalizing that level? But I know that for so many pregnant women, it does become a focus. I think people, obviously, if you're trying to get pregnant, um, you know, you go to an endocrinologist and the endocrinologist is going to check your, you know, check your levels like every week um, because you have to, maintain that if you want to get pregnant. Um, so
0: I don't know what is your what are your thoughts on that when it comes to pregnancy that you know kind of at that point it's a little bit too late to try to figure out why the, the thyroid is not working optimally at that point you just need the thyroid to work properly and so so using a, a synthroid in that instance may be the magic. You, you know there's something that's off sometimes for women that are having difficulty with pregnancies. Again, frankly, I think it has a lot to do with stresses that we are experiencing that are different than what our parents experienced and their and our grandparents had experienced. Because like the quality of the food, foods, you know, so we're going to get back to the, the basics. The quality of the food supply is a lot different. You know, there's less access to organic foods. There's much more uh, preservatives and pesticides that are being sprayed that if we're getting exposed to that are causing like a slow poisoning of our organ systems. And so you, ordinarily, we would want a person to go through like a little detox process to help their body cleanse itself of whatever might be stored in there. Uh, in New York State, it's not easy to check exactly what the toxins are. So we just kind of cover it with our process, uh, which is safe and natural. And But for, during pregnancy, like during conception and trying to get pregnant, at that point it's you just got to do what you have to do to get things moving because if the thyroid is not either being made properly or if the, the T4 is not turning into T3 which turns on the metabolism it, literally your body is going into conservation mode and it just does not want to get pregnant it's like you can't plant seeds in a uh, in a garden that's full of weeds it's just not it doesn't work that way your
1: uterus is full of weeds. <laughs>
0: Yours is.
1: Um, okay, wait. So we've talked a
2: little bit about hypo. Can we talk about hyper? And then can we talk about... I want to understand the difference between hypo and hyper and how that presents. And then also Hashimoto's. And then also touch on thyroid cancer. Because I feel like there's just... There's so many different kind of like tentacles of that start with this one place.
0: Well, hypo is too little thyroid hyper is too much thyroid hormone. Uh, And too much thyroid hormone can come with Hashimoto's in the beginning stages, because Hashimoto's is is an autoimmune condition that causes the thyroid gland to get attacked by these thyroid antibodies. And then eventually the thyroid will burn out. And then a person in Hashimoto's will inevitably go from hyperthyroid to hypothyroid. Mm -hmm. They'll first go too much and then they'll go too little. So a person with Hashimoto's often will be like, boy, I I could never gain weight for so many years, and then now I can't lose weight. And that's Hashimoto's. So the other one is Graves' disease, which is basically a thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulin. And this actually, it causes a hyperthyroid state for a much longer period of time than Hashimoto's because the thyroid stimulating immunoglobulin actually causes constant production of too much thyroid hormone without burning it out quickly. So that's where people can get really high thyroid hormone levels and, you know, they're jittery, they're tachycardic, too much too fast heart rate. And that's where they also can get like the eye, you know, the the eyes start to get bulged out. Yeah. And, uh, In those situations, you got to protect the heart from uh, getting overstimulated, like with beta blockers. And there's medicines that help to block the thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulin, like tapazole or PTU, propothiol uracil. And then sometimes people actually have to get their thyroid removed in those situations, which is a legitimate treatment or the radioactive iodine which I'm like a little bit less of a fan of because I find that-
1: Radioactive iodine? That sounds terrifying. What is that?
0: Well, remember the thyroid needs iodine to make thyroid hormones. So what they found is giving radioactive iodine to a person will cause all those, that radioactive iodine to get sucked up by the thyroid and the iodine is toxic. And then the thyroid dies. So it's like a way to do- a thyroidectomy without surgery.
1: Oh, so it's like a
0: vehicle to sort of like deliver the... It's a vehicle to stop calculator. the thyroid from producing thyroid hormone. I mean, the only downside I find to the radioactive iodine is that it's sometimes difficult to get people's energy back. Like They seem to be more resistant to thyroid hormone, thyroid hormone replacement after radioactive iodine compared to thyroid... Uh, Thyroidectomy, thyroid removal. So, so
2: when somebody has their thyroid removed, then what happens in order to is it all just supplemented with with like artificial?
0: Yes. Th- th- yeah. And so, most endocrinologists will just supplement T four, which is basically what the thyroid makes, and that can work for many people, but. There is a large group of people getting their thyroids removed and then taking the precursor thyroid, which is called Synthroid or Levothyroxine. There's a couple of other versions of it. And then the T4 doesn't turn into the active hormone properly. And then a person is left with like the symptoms of hypothyroid. So they're still fatigued and can't lose weight. And there's a lot of controversy between endocrinologists and functional medicine doctors on, on this state because there's no kind of medical description of it. It's kind of like the gray zone. But we found that if in those cases, sometimes by giving actually, in addition to the T4, you give T3, which is known as cytomel or liothyronine, It can help to bridge the gap. So then the thyroid, you're actually giving the active thyroid hormone. It's, it's a little bit, uh, a person just has to be prepared when they start taking T3, that it, it's quicker acting, quicker acting, and it also is quicker ending. So it just doesn't last so long like T4. So it requires a little bit more adjustment in working with the physician. A lot of endocrinologists are, not for some reason, not used to doing that. They like the easiness of T4. but. But there's many people that just are not getting the benefits that they should.
2: Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Um, I mean, I guess now the question, as it speaks, as it pertains to functional medicine, is: is there an avenue to pursue that doesn't have anything to do with drugs and like synthetic replacements? Like, is there a nutritional protocol? Are there other things that that? I mean, even if it's you know acupuncture and herbs and all of that, are there are there avenues that you can take that don't have anything to do with drugs? Or is this just kind of one of those areas where Western medicine really wins?
0: There is definitely a place for nutrition in here. So we talked a little bit about making sure a person has enough iodine and enough iron and enough selenium as building blocks for making thyroid hormone and helping with the conversion of T4 to T3. Uh, also there are, uh, supplements, you know, it's not only just about the, so the reason we started this conversation talking about the hormone map is that you can't just treat the thyroid. You also have to treat other org- hormone systems. So most directly related to the thyroid is the adrenals. And so usually you have to address the thyroid and adrenal balance. So in addition to the nutrients for thyroid production, you also want to make sure that you're taking some Adaptogens for the adrenals, like uh, eleutherococcus or ginseng or things like that, ashwagandha. You know, uh, I also, you know, I do think it's important to do the detoxification part because th- that often interferes with proper thyroid hormone production. It takes a couple months, but generally, people will will find that they start feeling better and better. And. And by the way, those are like the natural things for making thyroid hormone. There's also things that help if a person is has Graves disease or hyperthyroid. Uh, you know, there's herbs like hawthorn that helps to protect the heart. And then there's herbs like, believe it or not, there's an herb called bugleweed, like right out of Harry Potter, that is good for. Helping to suppress overactivated thyroid hormone production, so it work. There's herbs on both sides of it, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's usually best, in my opinion, do some detoxification for the thyroid. Work use the nutrients and herbs first, and but sometimes pe- it's just not enough. Sometimes people just can't make it, and they have to do something.
1: Yeah, it just I'm sure it depends what stage you're at too. I mean, if it's something um chronic but it, and so how often i mean how often are we supposed to be and how early meaning in life how, at what age and how often should we be even testing our thyroid level and is it more frequently for women i would assume maybe than men
0: yeah, the question is is should it be done as part of a screening test for a healthy individual yeah i do think it should be at least once early on in a person's life like during adolescence it would be nice to get like a baseline thyroid mm-hmm. just like people get baseline ekgs mm-hmm. you know it's good to know what what the hormones are like when a person's healthy so then we now have a target for in 10 15 20 years if something changes yes of course things change through adolescence and puberty but like if a person goes from like being lean to not being able to get lean then we know that there's some issue with energy system. A person's not burning calories properly. And that's usually a thyroid or adrenal issue or a tox- cellular toxicity. Mm-hmm. And so, so
1: it, be part of a, it should be part of a regular physical, right? I would assume. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And um, what I've
2: learned is that it's not, which is why I just did this whole new physical because new insurance, whatever, this whole workup. And then having the conversation with my doctor where I'm like, yeah, but I'm still kind of feeling, you know, some of these symptoms. It's just like, oh, we should check your thyroid. It's not part of like the five vials of blood they just took out of you. We have to start over and like do another test. Why?
0: Well, you know, even though it is pretty common, a lot of doctors are generally in the mindset of treating disease. So they it's working backwards. So doctors are trained to treat symptoms. If a person does not have a symptom, they're not thinking preventatively. And and I I do believe that a lot of doctors at this point are now starting to to be aware of prevention. You know, there's a whole preventative medicine, but what does that mean? You know, it's not about screening tests, like, yeah, people should get colon cancer screening and things like that, but it's also preventative medicine is also about health optimization. So you at least need to know what you're working with, which is, your hormone map, nutritional deficiencies, and make sure that people are not getting exposed to like typical toxins like mercury and lead. It's like I, I, I check so many people for mercury and lead, and maybe that's just because of my experiences, but I, I still am finding people with elevated lead levels that, and it's a problem. Did it change in New York
1: again? What is the level now? Is it like 10 or is it still?
0: So, yeah, you're right. Because it's increased, <laughs> they increased the reference range on lead. It used to be five; now it's ten, as a reportable. Yeah. But the research has already been established that if a person has a blood lead above two, then it's it increases all cause mortality for the individual. So we still use two as an as a as an opportunity to look for sources of exposure, which in our patient population tends to be glazed. Cups and glazed plates. So, um, it, paint, wait, paint.
2: Seriously, yeah. like it's down to that. I mean, I know paint. We all think about paint, like in your house, but it's like china.
0: Yeah. Well, it's oftentimes like the glazed cups that their kids are making in pottery class. Oh God. Or there have been some popular, uh, like I think I don't I don't want to name names, but uh, there's been some I've seen some plates out of Mexico that have still been using like lead-based glazes. Yeah,
1: I would, I would not be surprised. And this is why I don't do arts and crafts with my kids. <laughs> Officially. we am using that as an excuse. Oh, we can't glaze any mugs today, guys. Not good for your health. It's too dangerous. <laughs> too dangerous.
0: Perfect. Um, <laughs>
1: It works out well. Um, Dad. this is very fascinating. It's just, it's. It, it, I'll just say it one last time, but it's shocking that something so, uh, that impacts your health potentially in so many different ways. is not a routine part of a checkup. So, I mean, maybe it really isn't everyone's best interest to kind of like, next time you go to the doctor, you ask them to throw it in. Ask the
0: question. I think, and honestly, I, and that's, I think that that's really important for people to become their own self-advocates. It is. Uh, and you know, I there's a lot of doctors that just don't. They're spending five to ten minutes with patients, which is not a lot of time to be as thoughtful as they might want. They certainly want to be. So patients do need to advocate for themselves. So if they have like this symptoms that they're they are concerned about, they should go in with a say like this is please test me for these things because of these symptoms, and then. Doctors certainly are very, they want to help. They just don't always have the time to be able to think about all of these things. So this is, what, this is what the benefit is, is self-education. Patients should be aware if they're having fatigue or difficulty concentrating or low mood or gaining weight, that is unexpected based on their exercise and diet. Uh, constipation, cold hands and cold feet. Then definitely it's good to check thyroid. TSH, free T3, free T4, reverse T3, at least TSH, free T3, and free T4. Uh, I believe it also would be good to do some kind of adrenal test. Now, not all doctors are doing saliva testing, and that's fine, but you could do a court morning cortisol, and that's very good. At least, so those are reasonable tests. And then I do think that testing like iron ferritin is really the one that I w- would want to see because generally women are going to be low in ferritin the ideal reference range is 50 to 150 and because of the monthly menstrual cycle women are losing iron and may not be getting it in their diet because you know a lot of women are eating well men and women are going vegan or they're not eating meat so there's less opportunity to get iron and sometimes the there's not enough nutrition in like the green leafy vegetables so if a ferritin is even in the normal range, which is like 12 and above. But if it's below 50, it should be replaced yeah. for sure.
1: Yeah. And, and what's a good, and, and, right? Obviously.
0: Right.
2: What is a good way to um, increase your iodine? I, I had to start taking iodine supplements and like kelp supplements, but what is there like a good, na- like just food source? Because eventually it's just too many pills.
0: Well, the, if it's not kelp, it's seaweed. And uh, now, mm-hmm. okay, so seaweed, uh, California seaweed might be a problem because...
1: Well, of, California seaweed, yeah. Vimergy is a great brand. Yeah. Um, right? Do you guys eat yep. that? Yep, yep. Right. You probably have some too. Go on.
0: I don't no, I mean, So that's the goal is to make sure that you're getting a clean source of seaweed, but seaweed would be the, the option. So it's not like going out and eating seaweed salads at Japanese restaurants because you, know, you got to be a little bit thoughtful of the source. But seaweed is kelp. You can eat kelp flakes, like dulse. Uh, And I would try to just get it from like... I guess I would use like... There's Irish versions. Yeah. yeah.
2: Irish boss. Okay. All right, good. Well, I'm heading to the
1: the National Food Store as we speak. Uh, Well, now now that we're going to talk about... I mean, uh, we need to... Iodine, let's talk... The other sources. Selenium, Brazil nuts. Oysters. Well, food sources of selenium Pumpkin would seeds. be Brazil
0: nuts. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I just take a supplement of selenium, two hundred micrograms a day is plenty. But Brazil nuts have like twenty or thirty micrograms. Um, if, but that would be a legitimate source. Uh, there's not a lot of other great sources of selenium. Pumpkin believe it or, or not, is that,
2: or is that fake news?
0: Possibly. No, they've got
2: something else that I'm confusing with selenium
0: then. Reality is we do a lot of checking for selenium levels and I rarely see it deficient. So it must be in the vegetables people are eating to enough of a degree. But if a person is not converting T4 to T3, it doesn't matter. You just have to supplement it. The, the blood tests are not accurate enough. Uh, even. So selenium tends to not be accurate enough. Zinc, you know, that would be like red meat, beans. Oysters. Would be zinc.
1: Yeah, exactly. lots of
0: oysters. That's right. It's an aphrodisiac. <laughs> how,
1: how often do you eat steak? How often do you eat red meat?
0: You know, much less than I used to. I hate to admit it. I think as I've gotten older, I've lost the uh, taste. It's not as easy to digest as when I was younger. So I am like... In the summer, I almost like maybe I'll have a hamburger like once or twice a summer, and then red steak once a month. It's just yeah, much much less.
1: Yeah. Are you eating? I'm just. I have to ask because I'm so I'm curious about this. It really varies. Are you eating? Like what? It, what is your protein source? or so your eyes. When you do eat meat, what type of meat are you eating?
0: I know because I, I hear you. It's like tough to figure out what to eat nowadays because there's, you can make arguments for or against in protein source. So, if I'm going to eat beef, generally I'd love it if it's grass fed beef and I still like US wholeness meats as one of my favorite sources. Or, you know, there's always lots of local farm raised, grass raised meat. Uh, I, I like lamb. So, I would eat that because generally lamb is not going to eat grain. It's just they don't eat that. Right. But I do eat fish, generally fits on my plate whole. Uh, ideally, you know, uh, it's impossible to find wild caught fish, but that would be the ideal. But it would be like Bronzino, Dover sole. I do like, uh I'm a fan of sardines. You know, one of those. People. I wish
1: I, I wish I. Had a taste for those little know. tiny mackerel and sardines, or like all the little
0: ones, anchovies. I love them,
1: but I feel like my taste for
2: them definitely—it flipped on like a switch. Like I was very not into it for a long time, and then one time I had like a delicious sardine, you know, and really good olive oil. I was like, oh, this is amazing! And like now, I actually like physically crave it. Like if I see them in our in our cabinet, I'm like, oh, I gotta have those. Tonight.
1: <laughs> Try it again. Yeah. So- there's-
0: yeah, Greek restaurants have become famous for All
1: my Greek uh, cousins eat eat them out of the can like they're popcorn um, and lamb, too, obviously. Lots of lamb. I mean, who am I? I'm, I'm, just a, I'm the black sheep. you <laughs>
0: black lamb. The black
1: lamb. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, well, I, Yeah, go ahead.
0: Picking, I. at Bell & Evans Farms, I think, is a good, uh, you know, yeah. mostly more naturally, you know, free range chicken. Yeah. Pastured. And then eggs. Eggs are good.
1: Not detected in the medical medium. Oh, God, all these foods are becoming so controversial. I I
0: just We're all going to end up not. on Soylent
2: pretty soon, and it's really just not going to be fun <laughs> anymore. Is that still around? I haven't seen Soylent. Soylent.
1: Can you believe it? Yes, it's still around. It seems to be thriving. People are drinking this. I'm concerned for anyone who's consuming Soylent. No, thank you. Why? Why are you drinking it?
0: No, thank you. What version are they on? They constantly...
1: Oh, I don't know. I, I haven't been... I, I'm not looking at it that closely,
0: but... They're crowdsourcing their uh, (laughs) recipe.
1: Anyway, well, thank you so much for
2: this. This is like such an amazing primer. I feel like, yeah, as usual, it's like all really tactical. And I'm just, I want to share this with so many of these women that I've been having conversations with lately because they're like, what's going on? Why is this happening? And how come I never knew this before? And I feel like, it's just you know once again we've we've been failed by our system, so it's our job as the little guy to try to help spread the word
0: we do we do we it's it, the most important thing is at least as long as a person understands like what their symptoms are like the symptoms the people should not be tired, also check uh underneath the tongue body temperature uh like two hours after waking, and if the temperature is not above ninety eight that could be certainly a sign of in ineffective thyroid function. Interesting. Okay. All right. Low basal body temperature is one of the functional functional techniques for assessing thyroid function. It's kind of thyroid and adrenal, but certainly if it's low, energy system is off. Just not making energy properly. All right. I'm gonna go take a
1: nap because I'm exhausted. <laughs> All right, well Dr. borzen Thank you, as usual. You are such an amazing source of information and we appreciate
0: you. Great to see you both. I look forward to getting together in person in the studio next time, but until then. Sounds good.
1: Thank you.
2: Take care. Thanks. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at htwpodcast.
1: You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.